a series a couple weeks ago called The Art of Reframing. And if you weren't here the very first week we kicked it off, and if you weren't here for last week's message, we've covered some pretty important topics. And let me just back up and say the whole premise behind this is that uh, it's called reframing because we basically want to look at things that we have already built a belief around and see how our belief actually lines up with Scripture. Because chances are you already have had a belief about forgiveness that we've talked about on week one. Chances are you have a belief already about what makes you content or satisfied. We talked about that last Sunday. You've built these beliefs, you've built a frame through which you look at these issues over the course of your life. And most of the time, you didn't even know you were building it. But it was built when the family in which you grew up in had a certain way they viewed things like forgiveness, contentment. We'll talk about time next week. They had a certain way they viewed sex, how they viewed recreation. Everybody had a way they believed about it. And chances are you grew up in a home that taught you that. You also had friends that helped shape some of the things that you believe. You also developed that maybe in a church that you grew up in. And what happens is all of us take all of these things, all these influences, and we form a frame around certain issues in life. And this series is to go and look at how we have framed those and have we framed them correctly. Or is it time to reframe what you have believed? Is it time to take another look at what the Bible says and line that up with your current belief about those issues and say, am I in agreement with Scripture? I'm not asking Scripture to agree with me. (laughs) Am I in agreement with Scripture? Because I believe, as many of you do in the house today, that the Word of God, this thing we call Scripture, has so much to speak about issues of life that give us wisdom to practically live well every day. Things like forgiveness and contentment that we have talked about. But today, I want to talk about another topic. I want us to reframe our concept of faith. Of faith. Going, Kelly, isn't this like obvious? I mean, come on, we're all people of faith here in this room. Why do we have to reframe faith? That's because I believe for a lot of us, we use the word frequently. Uh, But the truth is, if if I was to go down row by row, chair by chair, and and ask you, what is faith? You might be like, I I don't know how to answer that question. But yet it's so critical to our Christian life. You know, George Michael once told us that you got to have faith, faith, faith. You got to have faith, 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 yeah, right? Billy Joel saying about how he was keeping the faith. But more importantly, Hebrews tells us this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it's on the screen for you. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This verse shows us how critical Biblical, authentic faith is, because without it, you can't please God. All right, so all of a sudden, faith becomes remarkably important to us this morning, because I would guess most of us here in the room, we want to be on the good side of God's pleasure. Most of us say, yeah, I want to I know what it means to please God. 
Well, then we've got to have faith, 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 yeah, is what we have to do. We have to take a look at what this means and have I properly framed faith or have I made it something that it's not? So as with many other things in life, we as humans can take something that actually at its foundation is very simple and complicate it to death. Aren't we good at that? Let's just take taxes, for example. Aren't we good at taking something kind of rather simple and complicate it? Anything the government gets their hands on, they're going to take something simple, and what's going to happen? They're going to find a way to make it more complicated. We do that just in human nature. We take something, and then we complicate it. And in the process of complicating it, we lose its true origin. We lose its true purpose and what it was there for in the first place. All right? So one of those is faith. We've taken faith, and we have complicated it. So what is faith? I think we're going to look at what the Bible says about it, but I think sometimes to help narrow down what faith is, it's helpful to start by saying what faith is not. Because sometimes for me to get a, a good handle on what something means, it's good for me to know what it actually never has meant, what it doesn't mean, because if that's where I have been, then I know that my meaning is off, that my frame around faith just might be off. So I don't have these on the screen, but they all begin with the letter F. Because if you use this kind of faith, you're failing, all right? That's just, it's, a, it's an F, all right? All right, so the first one is that faith is not a force, okay? Faith is not a force. We are not members of Star Wars where we have this energy, this force by which we cause things to happen or we move things. But there are people who have come to believe that faith is force. In other words, there are people that believe that through faith, they can force God to do something that he would never do. So what they use faith as is like a magic lasso, and they cast it around God, and they believe that by faith, they can force him to do something. So faith is not that. It's not force. Also, faith is not a formula. A lot of us have maybe even grown up believing this because we went to some well-intended Bible teacher or pastor who was talking about faith, and what he broke it down to was that faith became a formula, that A plus B plus C equals this, which is what you want, the favor of God. So they've told you, here's all these things you have to do It's a formula for faith. So if you want God to answer your prayer, then make sure you're praying this way, in this position, with these words, especially use these words because they really make God listen to you, especially if they're in King James. God cannot refuse King James. If you pray in King James, he has to do what you're saying. And so they have this whole formula that if you go to church, if you're a good person, if you give in the offering, and if you do all the stuff, then God is going to give you what you want. And they've made a formula out of it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if that's been your approach to faith, it's a formula, then that's not faith. You have failed. Because faith is not a formula. Faith also is not a form of religion. I know we talk about the Christian faith. We talk about the Jewish faith. We talk about the Islamic faith. Faith, But when we're talking about what true biblical faith is, it is not a form or an expression of worship. That is not what faith is. It's not our brand of how we are going to go about God. That is not what faith is, although we've used that term often. I'm a person of faith. 
I, have, I'm, I believe in the Christian faith. But that really, I know we use that that way, but that is not what faith actually means. It's not a form of religion. The reason this is so important, friends, is this. If faith is a form of religion, then what happens is you come into the box called religion on Sunday and you do the faith thing. But then you walk away from the box called your form of religion and you just you live however you want to. And so we think that faith is a form and we put on this role and we become a somebody to God in this situation, but then we live otherwise elsewhere. There's a great danger in making faith a form of your religion. And by the way, faith is also not a feeling. All right, it's not a feeling. How many know that your feelings are pretty fragile? How many know your feelings lie to you all the time? Faith is not a feeling. I don't feel my way into believing in God. In fact, you will never arrive at faith just through feeling your way around it. Okay? So it's not a feeling. The problem with that is sometimes I can feel like I believe in God. Sometimes I can feel like I don't. Faith is not a feeling. Never was, never will be. And finally, under this category of Fs, and if you're failing, you'll hopefully learn the right definition today. Faith is not fortune. Here's what happens. There are people that believe that faith is like an act of fortune, of good luck. And so they approach religion like a good luck charm. Now, there are religions in our world that don't believe in God or worship the one true God that have charms. I'm sure you've heard of different religions that have charms, or they have idols or things that bring them what? Luck. They bring them blessing. And so they look at their faith as this kind of charm. Now, once upon a time, in fact, how many of you have ever had a rabbit's foot? Come on, be honest. I did. I sold it last week. No, just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) I was a kid when I had rabbit's feet because we raised rabbits, and guess what? We had lots of rabbit's feet. And uh, the more I put that theory together, the more I recognized this rabbit is not so lucky. Not at all. But we have, over the course of time, some of you have a lucky jersey that you put on to watch your favorite team play because if you wear that, they win. But when you fail to wear it, they lose. And we have this idea that faith is kind of like a good luck charm. Faith is fortune. And that if I rub it right or if I just do it right, then it will deliver for me the fortune that I want. But faith is not that. Faith is never Good luck, well-wishing, that is not faith. So hopefully that's kind of narrowed down or at least filtered out some things that you have thought about faith up to this point. Fortunately for us, the Bible actually gives us a definition of faith. Like a dictionary does, faith is, and it tells you what it is. But before we get to that, which is actually back in Hebrews 11, where we've already been with the very first verse, that without faith, it's impossible to please God, okay? We're going to look at the context around that verse, around that key idea that it's about believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him, okay? Around that context, we're going to build the definition of faith. So before we get there, we're going to go to Hebrews 10, because the book of Hebrews... I've never done a a systematic study on Sunday morning. We did a study on Wednesday night a long time ago on Hebrews. We probably ought to do it again. The book of Hebrews is a remarkable book. It it was written by a Jewish Christian. We're not exactly sure who it was. It wasn't Paul, um, more than likely, because it wasn't written in the style that Paul writes. But it was written by somebody who was obviously a Jew who became a follower of Jesus. 
And what Hebrews is, is basically stating in a nutshell is that Jesus is better than, okay? That Jesus is superior. If you want to know what, what Hebrews is all about, it basically is that, that Jesus is better. And systematically, he takes everything about the Jewish faith and shows how Jesus is the fulfillment, how he is the better that all of those things were pointing toward. In fact, he uses words like shadow. These things were a shadow of what was to come, the fulfillment being in Jesus. So he takes time to talk about the priesthood, about Moses, about even the temple and all these things and pointing them to Jesus, okay? Not a faith system, not a structure for how you approach God, a person, so all of Hebrews is building an apologetic about Jesus. Why? Because there were Jewish people who became believers in Jesus who began to turn away from their faith and go back to the Jewish system of their worship. And so he was writing them to show how futile really that is, to shrink away, to go back. And so right now we're going to pick up. So he spent almost, well, 10 and a half chapters talking about the supremacy of Jesus and how he is Self, he is in himself sufficient for our salvation. And then he begins to move toward our definition of faith. So let's go to Hebrews 10, 38. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith. He's quoting actually an Old Testament prophet. And I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. In other words, don't walk away from this, okay? You're not going to find pleasure. Who, who pleases God? People who have faith, not the ones who shrink back, right? But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So in this statement, he uses faith twice. And we learn some things about faith, that we're to live by it. So this is why it's so important you know what the it is that you can live by. Because some of you are like, I don't even know what faith is now, Kelly. You've basically robbed me of all of my bullets. I don't know what faith is anymore. All right, so it's important because it is like the way we're supposed to live our life. And secondly, he says, it's the faith by which we are saved. So what faith is, is critical to your eternal salvation. Don't you think we ought to know what that is? Because we should live by it, and it is it is. The only way by which we are saved, this idea, this concept of faith. So it shows us the importance. He's setting the stage now to all these Hebrews of why faith is important. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not at all things we've already kind of debunked, right? And now he sets the stage to give us what it means. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, he, he breaks it down for us. And many of you have heard this verse. And it goes like this. This is the NIV translation, actually the NIV 84, which was the first NIV translation put out, says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There, it's all clear. Go home. You now know what faith is. The problem is we look at this kind of verse, and in our human, um, translate in our human, in our English translation of what was being said in the Greek, we were not able to quite catch it because we don't often talk like this, Okay. So if this is all you saw, this is simple, but we don't quite get it because it's spoken of in ways that we don't normally define something, okay? So let me just take just a minute. I promise I won't Greek geek out too much, but I just want to take a minute here to look at what these words were that were used in the Greek text to say this is what faith is. Now, I know none of us think uh, like Middle Eastern Greek-minded people 
in the era in which this was written. Because Hebrews was written shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus, within 40 years or less of his death and resurrection. So this is well within the time frame of Jesus, okay? death and resurrection. So he, he's writing about this, and he's giving us some statements about what faith is. So when it says, now, faith is confidence, that word, confidence, in Greek, it means several things, but it's often used to describe a foundation, all right? So when you build a house, you lay a what? Hopefully, somebody's laid a foundation. And this is this idea of stasis. Now, I think it's interesting because in the English, we use a form of that word, homeostasis. We use the word stasis to talk about this sense of, of uh, balance, okay, this sense of stability. So this is that word. It's actually in Greek, it means a foundation, all right? The other ways it's been translated is reality. This is the word used to describe reality or foundation. Does that sound pie in the sky, sweet by and by? No, this is talking about something that is firm, that can give you confidence. So faith is foundation. Then he uses another word in Greek. And the word we translate assurance actually is also used to talk about proof or evidence. Or in, ex in exchanging business, when you bought something from somebody, they gave you a proof of purchase. We call it a receipt now, right? But that could be when you buy a house, what is your proof of purchase? You have the deed of that property. When you buy that car, it's yours when you truly have the title of that car, right? And meanwhile, the bank owns it for you. Um, that's the whole, that's that word that is used. It's the idea of evidence, proof, we use the word assurance, but aren't those weightier, meatier words when we talk about things like evidence? Because you think about it, some of you have watched crime scene shows, right? You've watched uh, TV shows about investigating crime scenes, and you know evidence is everything. Because evidence is where they look at and determine and write, try to reconstruct what happened. And so evidence is critical. In fact, people can be put in prison based on evidence, Right? Evidence is tangible. This is not some kind of mystical well-wishing out there. These words that are used are meant for us to understand that our faith is not some kind of uh, mindless activity. Most people who accuse Christianity call us simpletons, mind-numbing believers who just believe for the sake of believing in something that doesn't even exist. And they think our faith is actually based on Nothing. In fact, <laughs> the second definition in the dictionary for faith is trust in something for which there is no proof. That is not how the writer of Hebrews is defining faith. He says, no, 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 no. Faith, it's foundation. It is substance. It is evidence. It is proof. But of what? Right? So, Kelly, I, I get what you're saying, but how does that work. Because you don't have faith just in faith, right? That means when they're talking about words like foundation, evidence, proof, that's like real stuff. That means that our faith is not linked to fantasy. Our faith is linked to reality, and that reality is a person. And that person in the Old Testament is God. 
And we're going to play that story through to where we live today. Because that is what they're talking about. They're not talking about just fake it till you make it kind of faith. They're talking about faith that is confidence that is real. In fact, here's the way you could define it. That faith is confidence that God is, okay? So confidence God is, which means he exists. Those are the ones that please him, right? We already looked at that verse. That God is and will do what he has promised to do. This is what faith in, if you took all of those fancy words, okay, and we broke it down, you could say that faith is confidence that God is. He is the foundation. God. God is. And that he will do what he's promised to do. The doing is the evidence that we're going to look at in Scripture. All right? So that's as simple as you can almost make what biblical faith is. It's not in something else. It is only in the one in whom deserves it, which is God. That's it. That's, go home. You can go home now. No, just kidding. I'm not going to let you go yet because really you're going, well, okay, but show me the evidence. Right? So the writer of Hebrews says, this is what faith is. Boom, 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 boom. Proof, evidence, foundation. And then he says in verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. So now all of a sudden he takes this concept and he puts people around it. And he says, this is what we just talked about, this faith, this confidence in God that he is and that he will do what he has promised to do. He said, here were people who did that in real life. And we look at these folks and go, Kelly, but they're not like me. These are like superheroes of faith. You know what? They were not born injected with super faith. None of these people had any advantage over us. They were fallen humans just like you and me. The difference was God spoke and they acted. And they acted and they acted and they were commended for that. And I don't have time to go to the stories, but you can look at it. He starts with creation. If you're not with us on Wednesday nights, I encourage you. We have two weeks left, but Wednesday night we're talking about is Genesis history. And friends, there is some valid, valid evidence that what Hebrews says, that God spoke and everything that we see came into existence, all right? There's evidence for that if we will simply approach it and look at it without bias. There's evidence, all right? He breaks it down into what he calls then the ancients. So Abraham, actually before that, you'd have Noah, Abraham, and so on. There's some people that he follows their stories, and I encourage you to do that. We're going to actually narrow down into one character, and that character is Abraham. And what we see in Abraham is true about faith, that faith is always man's reaction to God's primary action, okay? Faith is always man's reaction to God's primary action. In other words, God is always the one who acts first, okay? So that's why we don't force God with faith. Come on, God. We don't. God acts, faith is man's response to God's activity, the evidence that he has done in their life. So let's zoom in to, to Abraham. How many of you have heard of Abraham? Don't be shy, raise your hand. I'm not going to count you for salvations. Just raise your hand. You've heard of Abraham. Okay. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it begins to follow his story. By faith. And what I love about what Hebrews 11 does is everything is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. You can't get away from the point that everything he's tying to is back to 
that definition of faith. Confidence that God is and he will do what he's promised to do. All right, here we go. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. So who called him? God did. So God spoke to Abraham. There was some specific evidence to that because he heard and he obeyed. All right? That he would later receive as his inheritance, which would become the land of promise. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, even, by the way, before it was called the promised land. It was actually just called Canaan at that point in time. This is years before Israel would take the land of the promise after their captivity in Egypt. He made faith, uh, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So by faith, Abraham, why did he do all of that? Because there was a promise. Notice how that verse ends. Go to the next verse, um, 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. Is this mind-numbing, mindless activity? No. She stopped right. And what'd she do? She considered. She considered what's happened, what's been going on in their lives, what God has said, he has done, that he is, because look what we're doing. And she considered him what? Faithful, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So why did Abraham do this? Because God made him a promise. Let's look at that promise. Genesis chapter 12. This is where we see the story, and you got to bear with me because I'm leading somewhere, and we got to take this whole thing in to get a good understanding of what I'm talking about, all right? So back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12 is when we see God calling Abraham and giving him a promise. Here it is, 12.1. The Lord said to Abram, this is for, he had a name change, so he's just Abram right now. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. So I want you to listen to these promises. He says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God spoke this to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Not specifically, but around 4,000 years ago. Okay? So, he gave him several promises. The first one was that you will become a great nation. Did God make Abraham into a great nation? To answer that question, you have to look at the Jewish people. Because everybody who is Jewish are tracing their lineage to a man. How many of you can say you became a nation? I can't. God said, I'm making a great... You know what? You cannot deny Jewish people. They're all around you. There is a land where they live, specifically. Friends, this is not anchored in some kind of made-up fairy tale story. Friends, this is a real place you can travel to and talk to people who trace their physical lineage to a man named what? 
Abraham. Why? Because he became a great nation. Is this myth? No, this is fact. And you can't deny that. All right? Even people who did uh, genealogical studies could discover they trace back to a man. Abraham. Second promise, God promised to make Abraham's name great. Did God make Abraham's name great? Most all of you in this room, you knew who Abraham was. But you may not even recall who Abraham's father's name. You might not recall who it was that traveled with Abraham. Do you know why? Because we're not thinking about them. We're thinking about Abraham. Why? Because we sing songs. Father Abraham had many sons, right? We can do some great calisthenics. The whole point is we've heard of his name, and people who aren't even Christians have heard the name Abraham. In fact, people who worship Allah, the Islamic faith, they know who Abraham is. Friends, you cannot get away from this. His name is great. Promise number two, check. God answered his promise. Number three, Did God bless all the peoples on the earth through Abraham? He said that through you, not just the Jewish people, but all nations will be blessed. Friends, at the time in which Abraham heard this, no nation was blessing other nations. You know what was happening? Conquest was happening. War was happening. You didn't bless nations. You pillaged them. But he's saying, now listen, all nations are going to be blessed actually through you. Did that happen? Let's see what Paul has to say about that in Galatians chapter 3, okay? So Paul's now writing 2,000-plus-ish years after Abraham, okay? The promises were spoken to Abraham, this is Galatians 3.16, and to his seed. So this is back in Genesis. Several times God promises him that through his seed all the world will be blessed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, or to seeds, meaning multiple people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So, that promise given to Abraham that through his seed, all nations will be blessed, wasn't about Isaac. It was a promise that would not, that Abraham would not see. It was a promise that Isaac would not see, that Jacob would not see. It was a promise that Moses would not see. This was a promise that happened 2,000 years later when Jesus came into our world. Check. Yes, all the world was blessed through Jesus. Look what it says in Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. What's our means by that? We're children by faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Why are we blessed today as Christians? Because of Jesus. Who is he? The promised seed from Abraham. Does God keep his promise? Yes. The promise was Jesus. God keeps his promise. They are evidence that he is faithful. And all of the ancients looked for that promise of Jesus, but they didn't see it with their eyes. But they were commended for their faith. What was faith? God is, and he will do what he says he will do. We have plenty of evidence, friends, that God has done what he said he would do. 
Let's not even start with all the prophecies fulfilled with Jesus that God said would happen. We have evidence galore, not mystical, magical, fairy dust stuff. This is like we have evidence rooted in history. Nobody has denied that Jesus lived and that he died. It is not only in the Bible, it is in historical accounts from the Romans, okay? It is recorded by the Jewish historian, Josephus. We know that Jesus was real, that he was here, that he died. Now, the speculation comes around the death and resurrection of Jesus, but by the way, we have plenty of evidence for that. We'll get there in a minute, maybe. So the greatest promise that we now look back to and at the same time look forward to is Jesus. That's our promise. The writer of Hebrews tells us this crucial role that Jesus plays according to our faith. Look at it in Hebrews 12. So he's finished all of this stories of faithful people. He goes to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are they? All of those thems that were in chapter 11, right? There are witnesses. There are evidence. What's a witness do in the court of law? What do they do? They speak about what they saw or did. So these are people who are witnesses. Does that sound again like fairy tale fantasy stuff? No, witnesses. Okay? It's been validated. Then let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2. Here's the, here, here's the big piece. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Wait a second. All of a sudden, faith has a name. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of what? Of our faith. Faith is not in faith. Faith is not a formula, a force, a farce, any of those things. You know what it is? It's Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We have plenty of evidence. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, listen to what Jesus does for us concerning God's promises. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God is and God will do what he says he will do. It is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the yes of all of God's promises. And so through him, the amen, so be it, that's what that word means, is spoken by us to the glory of God. So it moves from Abraham, a promise given to a guy we don't really know. 4,000 years ago, we know about him. But it all pointed and fulfilled in the real event of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection. The early church, they said this is where our faith is anchored. Let's look at it very quickly. 1 Corinthians 15. We will, I will take you there very fast. But the early church wasn't just living on the faith of Abraham. Okay? Something revolutionized their faith. It was the fulfillment of the promise to their nation in Jesus, Right? His death, resurrection. So look at what, so 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, this is Paul writing, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. In other words, this gospel story is where our faith is, because the gospel is about Jesus, right? 
By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. And here's his gospel. Verse 3, For I passed on, or received, what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So he's tying these events to their, their, their Scripture, the Old Testament. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, fact check me. You can talk to these people. They are still walking earth. There's not enough years for a myth to develop because they are still here. They're the ones that saw him. There were multitudes that saw him. Some are living, but some have fallen asleep, which means they've died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Friends, he's linking this gospel to evidence that Jesus did these things according to what it said in Scripture, and, oh, by the way, people have seen him. This is evidence, not mystery. It's not myth. goes on in verse 12. But if it is preached, which it was, that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, what destroys faith if Jesus never was? If Jesus was but never died and rose again, our faith is pointless. He goes on. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. That was the gospel they preached. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Where does our faith anchor today, friends? In Abraham's promise? And something 4,000 years ago that we have no point of reference to? No. To Jesus died and rose again, witnessed by countless people who could testify at the time of the writing of Paul's letters. We have evidence. I don't have time to break into further evidence there, but the whole point is it is linked to the death and resurrection, the ascension of Christ is the foundation of my faith in God. And so to take that definition that we have said, we're going to add to it, right? And that definition is faith is confidence God is and will do what he promised to do through Jesus Christ, right? This, that's, that's what faith is. I know that sounds, Kelly, it's so simple. Give me something I can sink my teeth into. There it is. God is and that he does what he's promised through Christ Jesus. Now, let me... Clarify this a little bit further, and then we're going to be done. Faith is not based on you. This is where a lot of people in the Christian faith have beat themselves up. Listen to me. Faith, as the Bible is defined, is not based on you. It's not about you mustering up enough. Because what did Jesus say? If you have faith the size of a... Okay, is that pretty big? No. Okay? So his point isn't the greatness of your faith. Please hear me. 
Faith is not based on your faith. It's not the outcome of how much you have. It's not, it's not based on anything like that. It is based on Christ, his plan, and his purpose for you. True faith leaves the Lord in charge. Therefore, he is not forced by you. He's not a vending machine God who if you push the buttons the right way, put in the right tokens, he's going to give you what he wants. God is in control. Faith isn't a force we manipulate. No, faith is a firm confidence in the goodness, listen, the goodness, the wisdom, and the purposes of God. God knows what he's doing through Christ Jesus. This means that I don't determine the validity of my faith on how God chooses to answer or not answer my prayers. In fact, I'd say it this way to you. The validity of your faith is not based on the results from God. It is based on your resolve in God. Now, why is that important? Here's why. Because you have friends, you have family who have lost faith in God. And here's why they have lost faith in God, because they approached God by some other form of what they called faith, where it was this way. Maybe they were praying for something that you too would have prayed for. Somebody they loved was sick, or somebody they loved had been hurt, and they prayed that God would change that. God didn't, so they lost their faith in God. I've heard this countless times, friends. Maybe you have too. Kelly, if you knew my story, you'd know why I walked away from the faith. Well, tell me your story. Well, how could God let this happen to my son? Or how could he not answer this prayer when I prayed so diligently? The whole church was praying, and he ignored us. So I've lost my faith in God. You know, let's, let's, just, let's look at that just for a minute. In that example, that I lost my faith in God because he didn't answer my prayer my way. Where is the foundation of your faith in that example? Is the foundation of your faith in getting from God what you expected him to do? Or is the foundation of your faith in God, his goodness, his purposes that we may never know? You might be walking away or tempted to walk away from your faith today because you've had this kind of faith in God or if it produces a certain outcome, then you will keep having faith. But once it stops, you'll cut it. That's not faith. Okay, That's one of those forms we've already talked about. That's you trying to force God to do something or that is some kind of formula approach to God and that is not faith because faith is confidence that he is and that he will do what he has promised to do. The truth is, what he's promised to do isn't all of my wants and all of my needs. If God answered some of my prayers when I was a kid, God help me if he would have answered some of those prayers. I tell you right now, there would be people who would be dead because of the way I prayed when I was a kid. So glad that in his wisdom and his goodness and his purposes, he knows what's best for me. Faith is confidence that God is, and there's plenty of proof of that, and that he does what he says he will do. Plenty of proof of that in Christ Jesus, who alone stands in history and is well-validated. Friends, your faith is not mythical. Your, your faith is not some kind of fantasy delusion. Your faith is rooted in history, evidence, Jesus, our risen Savior. If it was based on outcomes, then look at this, Hebrews eleven thirty nine. 39. Back to all these great men and women who are listed. These were all commended for their faith. We love that first half. Look at the second half. 
yet none of them received what had been promised. Hang on, how can I be commended for faith and never actually get what was promised? Because faith is not in getting. Faith is in God. So faith is confidence that God is and that he will do what he has promised to do through Christ Jesus. Today, what is the greatest promise that you can receive through faith? I'll tell you what it might be. It might be your salvation. Some of you have been around church a long time. Maybe you have had some of these false faiths that have kind of guided you where it was like, well, if God does, then I will, and you kind of, you know, this whole approach, and, and maybe you've never really actually experienced salvation. Let me tell you right now, that's one of those promises that is always yes. In fact, there is a sort of formula for that. In Romans, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, what is that? That is faith, that God raised him from the dead, that God is and that God did what he said he would do, which has been well-documented in the Old Testament, and Jesus stating it himself, I will die and rise again, well-documented in the New Testament. He's done it. That's faith, not a formula, but you will be saved, it says. Romans 5 tells us this, Therefore, since we've been justified, how? Through faith. We have peace with God. Some of you don't have that today. You don't. You're anxious before God. You're not sure where you stand because your faith has been some kind of formula or force or a farce or whatever, and you don't know where you stand with him. And so you're kind of on unsteady ground. Listen what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified, which means just as if I'd never sinned, justified through, not my good works, faith. What is faith? Confidence that God is and that he will do what he's promised to do through Christ Jesus. That I can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Some of you need to be saved today. Hopefully today you'll understand that faith is not a make-believe, hope-filled delusion. It's well-rooted in reality. But sometimes we become jaded to that reality. Because God didn't do what you thought he should do, and you had the wrong kind of faith in the God who would never do maybe what you were asking. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Hearing this definition today, some of you are like, I don't even know if I have faith in God. Maybe I had faith in religion, or I had faith in faith, or I had faith in my own goodness, or my own morality. Or I had faith in my parents' faith. But I don't know that I really have what you're talking about, Kelly, because I grew up with a different frame. Well, maybe it's time to reframe what faith means. And it's simplicity. It's knowing God is. And that he will do what he has promised to do. And the greatest promise we all have been blessed with is salvation. And if you want to put your trust, your faith, in God today for salvation, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Kelly, that's me. I want to do that today. I believe he is and that he loves me, and that's rooted in Christ Jesus coming and dying for me. 
I want to receive Christ as my Savior, the author and perfecter of faith. Others in the room today, you have been wrestling with your faith because it has been an offshoot. It's been one of these things we've talked about that faith is not. And because of that, you've just about walked away from this supposed faith that you had. Which maybe wasn't even faith. At least not according to the Bible. You're saying, Kelly, you know what? I needed to hear this today. And I have a renewed confidence that God is. And that God will do what he has promised to do. And I will put faith in that. If that's you, just raise a hand. I have renewed confidence today, Kelly. I'm going to trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. Listen, Hebrews talks about people that were sawed in half. People that had animal skins sewed to their bodies. People who never saw the promise. You look at their behavior, and it does not make sense with what life is dealing to them unless they have faith in something that is far greater than all the stuff they're going through. And that is God. So if you want a renewed confidence in him, one more, one more time, if you want a renewed confidence in that faith and that God, raise a hand if that's you. I'm renewing my confidence today. Thank you. Father, we pray right now each one of us have brought our own frame of faith to this, to this service today. And maybe we had misshaped faith. And I pray you would just forgive us for the times that we've walked away from you, or at least we've been mad at you because of our version of faith. It wasn't even right. So we commit ourselves to you today anew and afresh. That faith is not in faith. Faith is not based on me. Faith is not based on outcomes. It is based on you alone. That you are, that you love us, that you've made promises that you have fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That's why I can live today in the uncertainty of our world knowing that this is not the end for me that your promise is still unfolding in this time between the death and resurrection of Christ and the soon return and the kingdom being established among us. So help us to keep the faith right where it needs to be, in you. And when stuff happens that doesn't seem to make sense in our faith, keep us rooted in the reality of you, who you are, even in the midst of the stuff that is so hard, that you are for us, not against us, that our confidence is in you, and you are unchangeable. Thank you for that hope that leads to this confident faith that we have in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.